Welcome to the Energy Central Power Perspectives podcast. This is the podcast that brings leading minds from the energy industry to discuss the challenges and trends that are transforming and modernizing our energy system. And a quick thank you to Wes Monroe, our sponsor of today's show. Now, let's talk energy. I'm Jason Price, Energy Central Podcast host and director with West Monroe, coming to you from New York City. And with me, as always, from Orlando, Florida, is Energy Central producer and community manager, Matt Chester. Matt, the world of renewable energy is one that is growing both in scale, but also in diversity of resources on the grid. Can you set the stage for us by reviewing the current penetration of renewable energy resources that make up today's grid mix? Yeah, absolutely, Jason. And within the United States, we can pull this generation mix data directly from the uh, the U.S. Energy Information Administration. So I did just that. And in 2022, those numbers shook out to find that uh, the most prominent source on the U.S. grid mix was natural gas at about 39 percent, followed by the totality of all renewables at 22 percent, coal at 20 percent, nuclear at 19 percent. And then within that renewable energy slice, since I know that's what we're talking about today, about half of it was provided by wind, 30% from hydropower, 16% from solar, and the remaining 5% is broken out between geothermal, biomass, and what EIA would classify as other renewables. Well, thanks for that, Matt. And while the snapshot provides key insights into what renewables look like today, one resource you didn't mention was wave energy which is power generated from the constant motion of the waves of the ocean in coastal communities. While this technology has been researched for some years now, it hasn't made great headway into the grid mix. But our guest today is one of the leaders looking to change that. Joining us on the podcast today is Jan Skoldhammer, the CEO and founder of Novi Ocean. Novi Ocean is one of the players in the emerging sector of wave energy generation. And so he's the key guy to talk about all things about this innovative resource. So let's see what we can learn from him. So Jan, welcome to the Energy Central Power Perspectives podcast. Well, thank you very much, uh, Jason and Matt. Uh, Pleasure to be with you. And also a pleasure to talk to your listeners. I understand many of them have quite some experience uh, and knowledge about the energy sector. So all the better, which I can possibly let's say, um, enhance some of the knowledge in the wave energy sector. Yeah, absolutely. And we're thrilled to have you. And uh, this call is being taken place in New York City, Orlando, Florida, and in Europe. Jan, where are you specifically today? I'm in Stockholm, just north of Stockholm. And, and uh, I'm from Norway myself, but living here for 20 years. And we have our small prototype out in the water uh, outside of Stockholm as well. Uh, right now, giving energy to a small island and with full remote control, et cetera. So it works hard every day and night to give energy, even when there's no sun, by the way. Fantastic. Well, we're going to dive into that. We're going to dive into the whole world of wave energy with you. So I'd love for you to introduce yourself more fully to our audience. Tell us your background and specifically, how did you find yourself in this space? Yeah, I might have a bit uncommon uh, background for being in this space. Uh, I am an ex officer from the Air Force and have an economics degree. And then I took an air transport pilot education and uh, were flying airliners for uh, 25 years as a pilot, 
captain, an instructor, also, by the way, flying uh, air shows uh, on the spare time with an old uh, Douglas uh, A26 Invader from 1944. Took it back, actually, from Colorado when I was uh, 28 years old across the Atlantics. Then I um, spent time um, doing car racing on the spare time, built my own race cars, so I learned a few things about mechanics. And uh, I also about flying. I did a rather large uh, property deal. And then you might wonder, why am I working now with wave power? Well, I had many patent ideas uh, since I was a youngster, seen many of them go into the market 25 years later on with other people. And after I did that property deal, I had some economic liberty for some years. And uh, I thought, well, I'm going to fly now for 15 more years. Nice job, nice colleagues, nice salary, or do something else. And since I knew about this emergency in the climate, I thought for a while, maybe I should do something about that. So I took out that patent ID and uh, looked at it for a while, then decided to resign from SIS and do this instead. Now we've been working with that for six years full-time, much longer working days, much more difficult, much less pay, but much more meaningful. Yeah, understood. Very common sentiment with all sorts of entrepreneurs we've spoken to on, on Energy Central. So in the lead up to this, we've come across terminology like tidal power, tidal energy, wave energy. I'm assuming it's pretty much synonymous with each other, but uh, we'd love to hear from you more about the fundamental principles involved, how efficient it is, and what's the actual capacity potential we might be looking at with wave energy or tidal power or whatever you want to call it. Yes, uh, first of all, let's, into the, let's dive into the, the basics. The tidal power works with the horizontal streams uh, of the water masses. So they normally have a, a propeller underwater and then going in one direction for six hours, then another direction for six hours. So, and that is mainly in the narrow areas when you have straits, when, when water is flowing a bit faster and also west of Canada, for instance. And wave power has a 10 times larger potential globally than tidal power because it's, uh, it's more common with larger waves. And wave power is, as it, uh, the name says, you strike energy from the, the wave motion. And the wave motion is circular, actually. It looks up and down and forth and back, but it's a circular motion. And then you have two ways of doing it. It can work by the laws of Newton, meaning you uh, have something in the water that restricts the movement of the particle, breaking those particles, and the force of you know, uh, movement and resistance is what you do. Or the other way is by use, using Archimedes' principle. You lock air in the water when the wave is rising, and then you let that, uh, that buoy, whatever it is, rise upwards and extract that energy from the wave. And then there are different names of these systems, six, seven times. For instance, you have something called oscillated water column, quite common. You have an air chamber close to the coastline or up to sea where we have pressurized air going up and down with the wave. And then we have an air turbine on top, spins around and drives your generator. Or you can have oscillating wave surge, or we have a plate in the water, go forth and back. If you've been driving a hydraulic cylinder, for instance, you can have something called uh, a bulge wave, like a carpet on the water uh, that follows the, the waves and extract energy by that. You can have a, a attenuator, something that bends up and down uh, with a hinge in the middle, uh, you know, using hydraulics. 
or you can have a we have a point absorber using the Archimedes principle, locking air in the water, going up and down. As in more systems, you also have something called submerged pressure differential, something which is then under the water, and you have a, a membrane. So by the weight of the water passing overhead, uh, you can extract energy from the, that membrane, pressing, compressing, and, and then decompressing, going up and down. And you have a few more ones, but that are the common ones uh, which are used to extract energy. I also mentioned that the first patent is more than 200 years old from, from wave power. So it's, um, it's, a, it's an old energy source, but so far it's still quite new in many ways when it comes to you know, uh, going big time. Right. Well, I really appreciate the distinctions there. The, the, you know, all of it leverages the ocean, but uh, there are distinctions between tidal power and wave power. So thank you for that. So share with us what, you know, what is the current state of the wave energy sector uh, and how many different players are trying to innovate in the space and how close are you to wider deployment? Yes, it's, uh, I guess many of the listeners are, are used to the TRL scale, technical readiness level. And there are quite many in the lower, like CIS number two, three, four, perhaps with some ID. They have some tank testing, perhaps, uh, and, and, and trying to get this thing to, to move. There could be like 30 or 40 companies, you know, working on early innovation. Then you get to the level where we are, TRL 6, uh, where we have finished the prototype testing in wave tanks and also have something offshore for quite some time. And then, you know, starting to work on the full-scale design. I guess we should be something like 10 serious companies in that sector, perhaps some more, 10 to 20. And then there's something like 10 more companies that have something full-scale in the water and then uh, trying to get into the, the uh, higher scale, like eight and nine. The problem is that most of these systems that are out in the water by full scale are very heavy or very complex, and they very often give a little energy out. So if you combine those things, you have very little output per ton. So the, the power to weight ratio is low. And that means the cost per kilowatt hour or megawatt hour, if you like, is too high. And right now we have to compete with wind power and sun power to some extent in those areas where there are no subsidies. And that's difficult if you have something which is, uh, you know, costly per megawatt hour. So we have quite a few bankruptcies in the sector as well, because people are into what we think are the, the wrong sectors. Uh, and it's a tough environment out there by the, in the harsh water. Uh, waves uh, and and then uh, it has to survive plus be you know uh, efficient so it's tough then so it's very important to have the right requirements before we set in and as we said before starting this thing fully out i said it has to be light because light means uh, you know lower cost and, and lower you know uh, weight of the whole thing so we have a better power to ratio as you it has to be very simple because simple is easier to survive and cheaper to build and maintain. You need few parts because they're also more cost-effective and the parts need to be cost or well-proven over a long time before you can do so. If it's all new, the risk is that you're doing something wrong and it doesn't last. And altogether, that comes back to cost-effectively. And lastly, you have to give a heck of a lot of power to be in business. And I think many of the systems out there don't have all these check marks. And that's why many are struggling. So it's important to have this, all these boxes ticked before you go in with the full investment and try something. 
You know, my next question, maybe I just need to broaden it a little bit. I'm, I'm curious of what's the regulatory perspective on all this, but, you know, I don't un- understand the regulatory environment in Europe as I do in the United States. So maybe it's more of a governmental perspective in Europe. But love to hear for your thoughts on has this been piloted? What have the regulators said? What have governments said? What kind of support you've received? Just sort of the, what's the general environment like and how open are they to you know, innovations like this? It is becoming more and more positive because now, since we have more and more wind power and sun power out there, we're starting to feel the consequences of all this intermittency and the, the uh, frequency of the net is struggling as well uh, because of that. And uh, as you know, in California, you have negative pricing for, for energy at daytime because the sun power in the summer is strong. And at nighttime, you have the opposite because there is no sun, etc. When the wind is, is strong, you have uh, low prices. When the wind is, is gone in many countries, you have very high prices. So the oscillations is difficult. And the clue with wave power is it's much more stable by itself. It's a much more stable energy source. Wind power, even offshore, has a base load of 10% meaning that's the lowest you produce uh, per month. Perhaps for 10 days, you have 10% of the output. And of course, sun power is down to zero for 12 hours per day. But wave power generally is down to 30% at the lowest. So it's a much more stable energy source. So what happens? If that was the one powering the, the grids, you would need less fossils to burn the grids when there is no wind and no sun. You would need less storage as well. And... If you use wind power or sun power plus storage, well, you have two sources. Both are costly and both are also a, uh, there's a weight on the, on the uh, climate because you have to produce those batteries and transport them and, and uh, later on recycle them. So if you can get an energy source coming in, which is more stable, you need less of those uh, sources, the fossils and the storage system. So the energy mix, which is the common world, is much better adding wave power to it than just going by primarily wind and solar. For regular storage stuff, otherwise, there are, of course, rules about this. You have to have permissions to be out to sea, just like with wind power, for instance. And the unit itself also needs to be approved by, for instance, Lloyd's or D&D. You have to follow ISO standards when you build it uh, in many ways and have you know, process confirmed and out to sea of course it needs to not make any impact on the environment no leakage no environmental the hazardly stuff on board etc etc so it has to be approved just like any any ship or any aircraft which is costly but necessary so yeah it takes time it's lengthy and it's costly but it's, it needs to be done and of course all of us players in this business, which are serious, uh, we try to comply with those uh, those rules and regs. All right. Well, I have two a two prong question for you, Jan. First, why now, and what do you think will be necessary to see this industry grow? Well, I can add to that for the U.S. side now. Just now, a company called Alta C organization in California they've been pushing forward to add funding for this. So, Governor Newsom. Uh, uh, I think it was a couple of weeks ago, approved the Senate Bill 605, which gives more money to this uh, sector uh, or funding in different ways. And it is because of just the reasons I just mentioned that the other energy sources are intermittent and we need to have more 
stable energy sources uh, in the mix. And wave power is probably the better one out there and the one coming around the corner quite soon. And also the potential is important because right now the world is consuming something like 29,000 terawatt hours per year. And guess what? The estimations done by IRENA and IEA says that the wave energy potential globally is the same as the global electricity consumption. In the US, the numbers range from 30 to 60%, depending who's looking. So it's a, it's a vast energy source. It's out there, it's going to waste right now, every second, every hour, every day, is just waiting to be extracted. It's a no-brainer in many way, in my opinion. Jan, talk about the pushback from coastal communities with offshore wind. You know, issues like concerns with sight lines, boating, impact to wildlife and the fishing industry. How does wave power address these challenges? Well, uh, it is definitely a, a problem. We see now in Portland on land in Germany now, for instance, there's a full stop towards wind turbine on land. Norway and Sweden also has a huge opposition towards those because people feel the disturbances, the noise and, and the problems with them. So it's difficult. Of course, offshore is more uh, or easier, uh, depending on the distance from shore. Most people like to have it far out from shore because they, it kind of disturbs the, the, the visuals and also it, it makes some noise, especially because the wind is normally blowing towards the, the, the coastline. So it's really a problem. And wind power going far out, perhaps 50 kilometers out quite commonly, meaning you have uh, long, long, uh, you know, subsea cables. And also maintenance uh, is expensive because the transport distance takes uh, you know, a couple of hours to drive out there. For wave power, there has been very little resistance from the communities. Basically, it is, uh, of course, competition for the sea area because people want to use it for you know, the fishermen. Of course, they always want to keep their, their, their areas. So it's always a... And it takes it two, three years to get, you know, the permissions through for or the consenting process, as it's called. So that's an, an issue, but it's far more easy, as far as you can see it, for wave power than for wind power, as no one will be disturbed by it, because it is so much lower in size. Uh, a wind power can go up, up in the air more than 200 meters with the, with the props, uh, and we just normally have less than, you know, five meters or perhaps 10 meters at the most. So very small then, um, and the noise is, is very low. And then it comes to the environmental uh, you know, issues. And many, many investigations have been done in this. And so far, well, it's basically seen, seen none. Actually, some positives uh, because uh, the sea life uh, tend to grow on the anchoring points and stuff like that and make the shells and stuff. So, so generally, it is very positive seen a bond. I mean, people can choose between having large offshore wind out there as opposed to, to wave power. They will quite often then take wave power. But one important thing is that they can be co-located. And because wind power turrets need often to be one kilometer apart out to sea because they have a so-called blanking effect because the, the props are so high or so long. So uh, in between those areas, you can have plenty of wave power. Different measurements has different numbers, but it's quite common to state that you can extract two to five times more energy from the same sea area with wave power than you can by wind power. 
And also since they are off-paced in timing, meaning when you have, perhaps when the wind is building up, you might have less waves. So then you have full power from the wave, from the wind power turrets. But then when the wind is fading down, the wave remains for days. So we can power the same grid much more stable than just by having, for instance, only wind power. And then you have the permissions for the area. You have the subsea cable. And since they are operating intermittently, you will quite seldom be overloading that cable. So by going working together in the same area, when there is wind and when there is are, are waves and when the, the depth is suitable for both uh, sources, it's actually also a no-brainer. It's the way to go. Jan, when we break it down, though, we all know the key figure when it comes to deploying new energy technologies, the economics. So how does the price of wave energy compare with existing grid resources? And what improvements are being implemented to make the resources more attractive? Very good question and highly relevant. The essence is that all new energy sources do have a high cost in the beginning. Then you have a learning curve. For instance, wind power and sun power started at like 60, 70 cents per kilowatt hour. And now, you know, onshore uh, wind and, and, uh, and solar is less than, you know, 5 cents per kilowatt hour. Offshore, though, it's, it's more expensive. So it's, it's very often, you know, in the ranging, depending on the other size, of course, from let's say, 8 to 20 cents, uh, even higher from some of the new floating solar. For wave power as well, it starts higher, but not that high. The sector generally, when it's a pre-commercial area, for instance, just uh, 20 or 50 units are starting at something like, uh, you know, 25 to 35 cents. And then you have the learning curve. But if you have the same learning curve, and you start at the lower price than, for instance, wind power, you're going deeper more quickly, meaning that it looks like wave power, at least the better ones, will go below, and my words now, go below offshore floating wind in quite a few, in not so many years. And if you have a stable energy source, less visible, less noisy, and better to the wildlife, has a less, you know, uh, or lower life cycle emissions, then things will happen. So uh, even if wave power now is, is, is very low, the odds are this is going to be a really fast-growing sector once you get down to the, to the price level you want. And regarding the, the way that's done is that like in Europe now, the European Union wants to see 500 megawatt in the water before 2030, and they want to see 40 gigawatts in the water by 2050. And how to do that? Well, you have to be do similar incentives. That means subsidy uh, is in different ways, capex or operational subsidies, feed-in tariffs, if you like, as uh, wind power and sun power had, where we can start at 50% of their cost. And um, this has been now implemented in, for instance, the UK. They're paying now, I think, about uh, 250 per megawatt hour or 25 cents per kilowatt hour of tidal power. And Taiwan has the same. Canada has some also for tidal power in, in even higher, like uh, 30 cents. And then we're now just waiting for European uh, you know, Commission to, to sort this out by the member countries to be out there. US don't have it right now, but there are CAPEX subsidies coming out through the, the new IRA Act, Inflation Reduction Act, and also the, the new 605 bill in California. So that's the way to start this sector 
and then you have the learning curve. And then once we get down, I think to about uh, 10 cents per kilowatt hour, that's when things will really take off. And that's not part of way, uh, at least in our system. We think we'll should be down there after about uh, 100 megawatt in the water, be down to 10 cents. And that's about uh, 13 times faster than offshore wind had. And then we're going below. So my words, we're coming. And I think we're coming to come big when this, uh, this happens. Yeah. But well, I like the ambition here, and I uh, really am, am impressed with uh, military uh, pilot turned energy innovator uh, storyline, and really, really impressive, and really enjoyed nerding out on this this topic. So I really appreciate you joining us today to share this uh, your insights on this uh, innovative technology. Before we let you go, we have um, what's called the lightning round, and we do want to give you the last word. For today, so uh, the lightning round is where we get to learn a little bit more about you, the person, rather than you, the professional. Uh, we give you five questions. We ask for a one-word uh, or phrase response. So, Jan, are you ready? Yes, go ahead. All right. What is your comfort meal? That's a funny one. I try to avoid the most of them because I'm trying to, you know, stay healthy and to survive these long days of work. But I have a sweet tooth, unfortunately. So some chocolate now and then, and a biscuit now and then. That's uh, that's what I do very easily. And when it comes to real meat, uh, you know, we're buying sushi every Friday, for instance. That's uh, also you know a regular thing in our family. Okay, what superpower would you pick? To be able to see into the future. Since we're talking about wave energy, can you swim? And what is your favorite beach activity? Yes, I, I grew up in a, in a, in a summer house uh, when I was young and been, been uh, doing windsurfing for many years, especially when I was younger. I have a boat, uh, go out as much as we can in the summer. I tried the kite surfing, that was good fun. And, and also this summer is something called the e-foil, which is like a surfboard standing up on, on a foil going forward at, at good speed. That was also fun. But basically, boating is, is what I do when it comes to the, to the sea life. Mm-hmm. And if you didn't end up in your current role in the energy industry, what alternative career path might you have taken? Well, I guess I have to do the opposite, the opposite, because uh, I did all the other stuff first. So now I'm into the, the sector here. And I think this will be my final sector since, since uh, I'm not that young anymore and I enjoy what I do. I do, by the way, have a couple more patent IDs uh, laying in my drawers, so uh, don't feel too safe out there. More things might happen. Where do you see wave energy in 10 years? In big waves, uh, say that way. Uh, uh, since there is a high need, there is a huge need for stable wind energy, and we can provide that. I think it will be the next largest surge in green energy. Energy will be wave power, and not to some extent uh, tidal power, but that is is uh, uh, as I said, ten percent of the potential, just in some some areas, as opposed to wave power. So. As far as I can see, wave power is going to be the next big thing. Okay, and I told you you're going to get the final word. And you know that Energy Central audience is largely filled with utility industry representatives. So help us with the following. Um, as you look to shepherd this new technology for the sector, what's the message you hope power companies take away? What action can they take today if they want to learn about and consider wave energy as a future energy resource? First of all, Anyone listening onto this, welcome to look at look me up at, at LinkedIn. Connect. Let's have a chat. We are nowhere soon uh, coming out with an offer to utility companies. 
It has to do with the first project, uh, which I think might be very interesting for them to look into. So I can't say too much here on, on, on the air, but it will be uh, uh, an offer they can take part in and come along with us uh, and, and let's say you have all the, the greenifying positives of that to coming on board the large float uh, in, uh, in a couple of years and with their own uh, marketing team, uh, media, VIPs, politicians, for instance. That's what we're going to offer. So I think they should be not sleeping not waiting on the fence, which is very tempting uh, to wait for someone else uh, to, to do the job because the train might be leaving the station and it might be difficult to get on board afterwards. So contact me and other ones and most welcome benchmark all of us and then uh, see which one you want to work with. And then importantly, in this sector, many are talking about area size, talk about rated power, and, and numbers which are not essential. Please, please look into validated numbers, look into the, the proven outputs, not the maximum power once uh, every winter. Look at the average power at some selected places, not only outside Ireland where the waves are high, look at what power do you get outside France or California, for instance, uh, and Oregon, and look into numbers because this sector has many people talking about, uh, let's say, loose numbers or just uh, flashy things. But do your homework, look into the numbers, and then uh, decide which one you're going to work with. That's my final takeaway. Might be a bit harsh, but it's so important to to get this thing going, so that you don't waste your money and time on on the wrong, uh, uh, let's say, solutions. Uh, that's what I hope they can do. You know, you know, our our audience is uh, a pretty outspoken group, so I, I, they probably appreciate what you're you're saying and challenging. And I and I'm fully confident you're going to have a lot of comments and responses in your inbox uh, through the Energy Essential platform. So we certainly want to stay in touch with you and, and understand where you're going to be. So maybe we could bring you back into the podcast booth, perhaps a year from now, to see how things have developed. Until then, we want to thank you again for sharing your uh, your insight here and um, really appreciate your time. I know it's getting late where you are in uh, Sweden, but uh, thank you again for joining us today. Well, thank you much for having me. A pleasure. Fantastic. And you can always reach Jan through the Energy Essential platform where he welcomes your questions and comments. And we also want to give a shout out of thanks to the podcast sponsors that made today's episode possible. Thanks to West Monroe. West Monroe works with the nation's largest electric, gas, and water utilities in their telecommunication, grid modernization, and digital and workforce transformations. West Monroe brings a multidisciplinary team that blends utility, operations, and technology expertise to address modernizing aging infrastructure, advisory on transportation electrification, ADMS deployments, data and analytics, and cybersecurity. And once again, I'm your host, Jason Price. Plug in and stay fully charged in the discussion by hopping into the community at energycentral.com. And we'll see you next time at the Energy Central Power Perspectives podcast.